talk to me about this blog. Oh, yeah. So originally the blog actually started because I was just having horrible luck dating in general. Like I would go on these like dates or I would attempt to go on dates and I would get ghosted. I would get like call all these crazy names and a lot of it was just a lot of horrible bad dates. And I was like, my friends didn't believe me. And they're like, you, you have to, I don't believe you. And I'm like, I'm telling you, this is what's going on with my life. So literally I collected like three years of just bad dates and that's essentially how it started. So it just became me writing about stories about like sex and about horrible guys and about the dumb shit that happens and just dating culture as I know it now. Cause I came, I was a serial monogamous for many, for many years of my life where it was just one after the other, after the other. And then I was like, I can find someone easily at the work of my last ex. And I couldn't, it took almost three to four years before I actually was in a sustainable or a good relationship. And it was just a sea of bad dates after that, before then. And then it took a turn where it wasn't such bad dates anymore. It was just like honestly open and then it became very sexual and I didn't want to stop writing the blog because I feel like it's also important for people to hear. And then it became that. And then the next phase was me coming out about my status where a lot of times I wrote around the issue of the status versus actually putting it out there on front street. And then I went to actually, um, Devin has a group, the Love Profound meetup group in person, and one of the girls was like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story, and at that moment, I hadn't written about my, my, my status and how I contracted my herpes, and then they finally, I said, you know what, I wrote it, I rewrote it, I rewrote it again, and then I said, you know what, F it, publish, and I put it out there, and I just like waited, and then it's been nothing but great news since then, it's been positive reactions, positive responses, it's just been a lot of support coming my way. It's and it's been a total transformation. So now I write about my what is now amazing sex life in relation to having herpes and in relation to the bullshit I did with dating in general, regardless if it comes to a point where I have to disclose my status or not. Like dating is sucks. So it was like a lot of times where I all the, the majority of the bad dates that I went on and the bad experience I had was like maybe date one or day two where herpes wasn't even a factor. So when, so now that I was now openly discussing it and it became such a great response, I was like, oh, well, damn, that was a surprise. So yeah. that was, that's essentially what the blog is about. What kind of response did you expect to get from the blog? For, a, for good feedback to have been such a surprise to you, what did you expect? Mm-hmm. My friends who know me know that I'm very open and sexual. They, they know all about the shit that I do. So I was actually surprised a lot of my friends who read the blog when they found out my state when they found out my status was more like, oh, you deal with this, you do that, that kind of question. Not that I expected them to be like, you're the worst disgusting thing. I didn't expect that. But, you know, it's just, it's never what we do expect. The overwhelming amount of support is what's to caught me off guard. And then the surprise of just me being open and my friends are like, oh my God, this happened to you too. You had this and it's like, and it's so, yeah, it shows that dating sucks in general so it's not just you it's me and a lot of the aligning factors where it can be anything interchange with herpes where it's just like the dating was just sucky overall like so many overwhelming responses because again even before the outside of the herpes conversation you're having a lot of bad dates and you're thinking that it's just you like i'll listen to girls complain like oh my god why can't i find a guy why can't i find this and it's just like 
and then I tell them I tell them the story and they're like oh my god you too and it's like well yeah too like it's it's just dating in general is difficult you'll come across all of these similarities that again no one talks about because it seems as a failure to talk about them openly and honestly so when you finally hear someone else going through the same thing you're going through it's like oh my I'm not alone so you know we all can see we all can agree that dating sucks but the reasons as for why it may suck are all unknown to a lot of people they're not all common threads you know Mm-hmm. I like what you said about despite herpes being in the equation that it's interchangeable with just about anything else. And what I'm imagining you mean is that a person can be distrustful. Someone cannot be clear about what their intentions are. And a lot of people, we, we don't know what we want and we don't know how to communicate what it is that we want from another person. And there's just a compatibility issue than the issue of having herpes or having any kind of an STI or any issue that you really would like to disclose to a potential partner. Exactly. Yeah, that is, and that is essentially what I realized. Like a lot of times that I would speak into the groups and I would tell these things, they'd be like, oh my God, he rejected me because of this. And I'm like, nine times out of 10, if they weren't going to be there, they weren't going to be there. This is just another reason for them not to be there. Or if it wasn't going to work, it wasn't going to work for a plethora of other reasons. And so, and I, and I made it clear, like, even in my space, even in my relationships where we, where they knew my, where we were a discordant couple, a negative, positive couple, if we broke up, it was never because of that. It was always something different. Like, I was not feeling loved anymore, or the love died, or we weren't agreeing to anything, or, you know, for whatever reasons, but it was never that reason. That's why we know we're no longer together. You have a big confidence about yourself, and I'm <laughs> loving it. <laughs> When I talk to people, oftentimes I'm first catching them after their diagnosis. How long have you been diagnosed? Oh, 10 years. Oh, so you had time to deal with this. Have you always yeah. been like this? I will. I mean, initially, the, so the first portion of it was, so I like to give this whole backstory because I feel like for me, it's important. Some people may not be for me. It is important. I was always pretty much a hoe. I love I loved sex. I liked it. I enjoyed it. There was nothing I loved better. And then for a moment in time, I was with the guy and I was like really falling for him and I wanted something to make me more serious. He didn't want that. And I'm meeting a guy who ended, ended wanting to be more serious. He also ended up having herpes, too. He didn't tell me whether he knew or did not know or caught it while we were together. I'll never know. Because, again, 10 years ago, people were changing numbers left and right. People were moving left and right. And I knew he was moving before we actually stopped talking. And then he had changed his number while we were dating, like, two or three times prior. So this wasn't a thing that clicked to me that, oh, he changed his number because of this. When I found, we stopped, he disappeared from my life. A, mu- a couple weeks later... I had my first outbreak and I was like, what the fuck is this? And not necessarily knowing that it was, again, the whole, when you hear about it, you could have had it for years and I'd have known. Immediately I thought in my mind that it was because it, I thought I'd had it before with my previous life. I went to another doctor, like me, I want to say a month later to get like my regular passenger annual GYN. And she was like, oh no, we can definitely narrow down the window. And that was when she did the antibodies test and my antibodies for the test blood came back zero versus my swab was positive, which concluded that it was a, you know, if we want to go according to that information, that it was a recent transaction of the a transmission of the virus. And he was the only guy I was with for almost nine months. So it was like, well, shit, it was him. So initially I was furious. I was angry. I was all of these things. But at the same time, I was just like, a lot of me is, you know what? I chose to fall for him. I chose to 
even though we had had the conversation, I was like, when's the last time you got tested? You know, what are your results? And he said, I'm clean. I took that as confirmation. Again, not knowing how much he got tested, if he got the full panel or not, I took his word for it. That was me making the decision to trust him in that moment and the moments after. So I took on that decision of my own. I didn't I didn't sit in the depression for so long. I did go back to dating the person who I was previously with, the one that, that I initially had stopped seeing to be with this guy. And then we dated for a couple of months. And then again, we broke up. And then, um... Yeah, I just pretty much, I had a lot of my friends, one of my friends had really bad cold sores, like really bad oral outbreaks. And I asked her, I said, well, how do you date with the virus? Because it was never pushed to me to disclose prior to engaging. So I went with that same logic of it's the same virus. They don't disclose when they have oral. So why do I need to disclose when I have genital? And then also if my doctors are not telling me that I have to and listen to doctor's orders. All of these things I logic in my mind as to date with and date with honesty and when it came to a point where it became more serious i did have that conversation um i was lucky that all the guys that i told were okay they understood and they still wanted to see me and they still did they understood they understood why i didn't tell you know it's like it's like well i would have judged you before if i didn't know you but now that i know you i still like you and thank you for telling me and then let's see how we can go for being safe and i worked for me for a lot of the time so that is a lot of confidence comes from is the fact that I have been lucky to have met so many guys who were accepting of my status. Oh, but me accepting of myself was another huge turnaround because, again, the first question, the first thing we all face is who's going to want to be with us, who's going to accept us. So we'll find, if we find anybody who's willing to be with us, it's like, oh, perfect, I found my guy, I'm so happy, that's it, case closed, done. And what about you? Would I be with this person if I didn't have this virus? And that, that was another, that took a couple of years to get to that point. But the confidence in me just stating that I have it was, with to my partners at least, was a confidence thing. And granted, once it was done, it was done. The conversation was had. But leading up to those conversations, every time I would be in the bathroom, like, dry, heaving, snot coming out of my nose, can't think straight, like, crying. Because in my mind, again, I'm always a worst-case scenario. What if he lashes out and attacks me? What if he kicks me out of the night and it's raining and I don't know where I'm at? Like, I'm thinking all of these things, and those things have never, ever happened. It's always been overwhelming amount of compassion and understanding and just you know even if they were like you know what i'd rather not deal with you anymore i'm like okay no problem thank you for telling me i'm gonna go get checked and for the most part they all they never called me back say anything else because i said if you need me to if you need me to be with you during us if anything comes from positive i'm here for you let me know what you need me to do i've always been that person at least so then if they've never called me back my assumption is that they've never transpired they've never contracted it yeah what I was going to ask you earlier was how you meet these guys, because a lot of women that I speak with have so much trouble dating. And as a man, as a straight man, I can't really speak for everyone in terms of like what works for them or what will work for them. I can only speak to the experiences of other people and what I've been through in my days of dating to just be like, well, you got to work on yourself. You cannot go out here and try and get someone to complete you or make you feel better about yourself oh yeah definitely so a lot of it was first i mean i am a champion of online dating since AOL chat rooms a slash l slash l like that was my life that i when online dating became a thing i was like on it like 14 years old after 9 11 happened i was online meeting someone that lived a couple blocks of me like it that was my jam like because i am i 
there's something about my personal number giving away to people that is so hard for me to do. Like, if I'm going to a club, I'm going to a party, I'm like, I'm not giving you my number. I need to talk to you all day, all night long before I feel comfortable giving you this one number because I've had my same number since I was 14 years old. So the idea of walking down the street, giving my number to somebody, and like, oh, yeah, no problem, bye. Like, no. Like, <laughs> I want to feel like a little, for some reason, there was a sense of security that I always felt with online dating. I can vet you. I can talk to you a little bit more. If we go on to, if we talk a couple of weeks and you don't want to interested, it's fine. There's no nothing lost, nothing gained. Versus you'll be quicker to communicate and meet with me if I give you my phone number, and then you may not have the best intentions. I don't know. I, my mind worked in weird ways I think that way because some people are like all oh, dating is so creepy the Craigslist killer I'm like yeah but the same people you meet at the club can be a killer too you just happen to meet them at the club instead of meeting them online the club so, killer <laughs> yeah the club killer exactly so my thing was it was always online dating so I did that for pretty much essentially up until like last month where I deleted all my apps finally because now I'm in a a relationship where I don't I'm, really, I'm in a poly relationship where I don't need any to take any more people but um yeah, online dating has been my thing from, and, and you can name all the apps. Like, I have a whole post on my blog where I literally discuss every single app that I downloaded almost up to 10 where my thumbs got numb from swiping left and right so much. Online dating scares me. <laughs> it frightens me because I'm seeing so many uh, people who are sharing like their blogs and their stories and talking about their experiences. And it's like, whoa, do I want to end up as one of those people? <laughs> Well, you know, but the thing is that for the longest time, the blog is only, in March, it'll be two years. So, and then I don't use their names. Like, if I use a letter, it's like, if his name is like, for example, Mike, and I met him on computer, his name will be M underscore OKC. Like, no one's going to, there's a thousand Mike, there's a thousand Mike's on computer, so you're not going to know who you are unless I'm dating, unless it's been you. And And a lot of times I'll say, this is you, and like, just so you know, and I don't use names. I'm still kind of PC about that. Um, yeah, but like for me, as far as the online dating was concerned, it was easy for me to talk. I have, so a problem with me is I live in a city. In the era of digital dating and or just people being on their phones constantly, no one looks up, no one looks around. It used to be a thing where people could say, what approach you want to show you, excuse me, you're pretty. But not, since iPhones and phones came around, I got headphones all the time, no one's paying attention to anything. Okay, I mean, freaking... Pokemon Go, people walking in the traffic, you know, like, people are just not paying attention to their surroundings, so even if I happen to be a cute girl walking past you, you're probably so busy in your phone, left, right, swiping, or looking at Twitter, you're not even paying attention to me, and again, with even with there being a good-looking guy approaching me, my fear is giving you my number, I don't want to do that, so I'm hoping that I may see you, and I like you, and hope you're on some meeting app after the fact, if you're not, oh well, it's not meant to be, um, and I would do it like that I would just in it's a luck of the numbers game because again I I consider myself an acquired aesthetic where there that right now I have on a black a gray hat but I've had purple hair blue hair pink hair crazy glasses funky this like I could look real real out there sometimes or real, real normal sometimes and so I mean you may not you may judge me based off of my appearance alone and not think that I'm you may think that I'm weird you know, but I'm actually could be a kind of quite a cool girl, but you wouldn't know that until you actually see my profile and see all the pictures of what Carolyn can look like. So for me, it was very easy to online date, and that's essentially where I met a lot of my partners. Um, two of the guy, two of the guys I'm in a relationship right now, I met online, and one I actually met at a um, play party. So, all right, lots to talk about from there. One thing that you said that stands out, I really want this to stick with people. 
you created a safe space. So for you, that safe space is online dating where you can put yourself out there. Not everyone is willing and open to putting themselves out there. And when you kind of just stick your toe in the water, you can't enjoy swimming. You got to sometimes you got to make sure that you're in a safe space. You got your lifeguard on deck. You know how deep the water is. Get in there and swim around like you can't half ass being able to put yourself out there in order to get the kind of relationships that you may be interested in. So a lot of the people who are struggling with dating and say nobody wants to date me with herpes, I really don't think that it, it's 100% about that. That may be an issue for some people, but when you find yourself in the communities and groups of people who are able to just see you and understand you know, who you are and have interest in wanting to get to know you and they're curious about you, I think that's where you increase the odds of dating. Like That's where we start winning. Exactly. I feel like when people... There's a, there are some people who I did a little experiment when I once I became one of once I would open my status because for the most of the years I want to say for eight years prior to online date pre herpes and post herpes eight years of my life I didn't lead my dating life of online profiles with my status I would talk to them in private because I also want to make sure that you're worthy of knowing this information about me now for some people that may work for some people that may not work where I've encountered want to get out the way first conversation i got herpes you want to talk to me yes or no and i'm like and again if you've been through a situation where you've done this before and it always ended up with them saying no 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 i could understand why you not i could understand someone who doesn't want to wait that long to get to know someone and then have them not want to be with them fine however at the same time on the same side of the coin what is wrong with going on a simple date enjoying a conversation who is to say that you by day three you may not lose you may lose interest completely and therefore what was the purpose of meeting it on the first date you can sometimes just get to know people and i feel like a lot of times we're so rushed into them accepting us with our status where we don't enjoy the conversations first we don't enjoy the first date we don't enjoy the second date it doesn't have to be oh is he gonna want to sleep with me you may not want to sleep with him or her after the first date so what does it matter that you throw it out there on the first date i feel like it's important a lot of times to sometimes dial it back to being just enjoying just the date and a conversation and then if it goes that far then you can have that conversation about herpes when you want when you realize that okay i like this person and a big question i always ask myself is if i didn't have this virus would i still like this person and if the answer is yes okay then that's when we need to have a conversation at the end of the day if they say you know what thank you for telling me but i'm not interested any longer that's fine i'm not gonna die because you told me you don't want to be with me anymore like i will live there's something to live for other than meeting this person that's going to be the quote unquote happy ending that you may think they may or may not be you know can you say that again for the uh people in the back just that <laughs> just that that part where you said um the question you ask yourself before you disclose is if i didn't have herpes would i still want to be with this person because we settle we settle like that's in the discussion yes, and yeah. you find yourself in a situation where you are with someone you've invested a lot of energy into them yeah. you've invested money and flying and transportation to meet this person and you finally get around them and you're like okay well i guess they'll do this person likes me or at least they act like they do and then only to look up one day and see that y'all aren't compatible and maybe then you realize oh i'm only with this person because we both have herpes or because they were accepting of the fact that i have herpes <laughs> And we got to understand our person, our people, our community, 
they're gonna be okay with us having herpes or they're gonna also yeah. have it like it's one it's one or the other so everyone yeah. who's not okay with it is just not supposed to be in that shared space with you in that capacity and i think that the sooner we can get to a place where we can accept that and look from that perspective i think we get a lot of our power back and we can begin really dating and having the relationships that we want so for a lot of people, they're going to hear this and they're going to hate you right out the gate because not only are they struggling to find one partner, but you just said you're polyamorous. You have partners. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, I do. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about this for the haters. So you're polyamorous. When, when did you discover that you were polyamorous? Because you mentioned earlier that you were serial monogamous. It was like a back and forth decision. I always knew that polyamory exists and monogamy, non-monogamy. I always knew of that lifestyle, right? But, you know, you have your mom and you have your father, you have your sister, you have your brother, you have the family that shows you that this is what it's supposed to be, one and two, and that's it. No more. And for my relationships, what they were worth, they were great relations. They were none, none of them were horrible. I, there were some few that were bad. But for the most part, they were good. But there was always something that I felt like I wasn't happy with, like, they were always trying to change me or I would hope that I could change them. And polyamory just became something of, you know what, let me, let me try it and see what happens because worst case scenario is it doesn't work, but I know for a fact that I can love multiple people. Again, you don't run out of love. I love my mom. I love my brother. I love my sister-in-law. I love my niece. I love my nephew. I love everybody who comes into my life and I love them with the same passion that I love the next. It doesn't fall out, so why can't I apply that same logic to my dating life? And if I'm honest, open, and transparent, they all know everything, they all know of each other, why can't that be the same way? Now, I started, it literally went, I, so I got scammed last year in the summertime, like badly scammed, like money-wise, and then I took a moment to like stop dating. I was like, you know what, I need to clarify, my, I, need to do what I, I need to know what I'm doing here, because I'm going on all these dates and it's not working out. I'm accepting. I'm I'm happy here. I'm happy there. But I'm like I'm not really fully. I'm looking for something that I'm not getting, or I'm, and I need this. This I usually say like anything that happens as a abrupt awakening of maybe this is what I needed to happen to get me to this point. Um. So yeah, the when that happened, I took a break from dating completely, and then I have at the same time I happened to be coming into my sexuality and being more honest and it can further into my sexuality but being honest with what I liked and what I didn't like and exploring different things. A lot of times in certain communities, there are a lot of closed-minded people, and I was happy to find I pretty much walked into a sex club with my herpes status fully on display as a necklace, as a bracelet, having that conversation with people. And then I found so much overwhelming support from that community because they're not traditionally dating in the same way that other people are dating. They're open and communication is, they get tested frequently, they converse more frequently, there's more honesty, there's more transparency. And I found that, wow, I'm this community is actually working great for me. And, you know, and I told, and, and the partners that I, dated initially after the fact, I was like, I'm going on this, I'm making a stand to say that I'm polyamorous, because I know that I have the capacity to love multiple people, and I want to love multiple people, whether that being all intimate love as well, I'm not sure of that yet, but at that moment in time, it was, I know I can love, and I want the first capacity to be love, and then if intimacy follows that, great, if not, great as well, there's nothing wrong with having a loving friend that you don't have sex with, a lot of people think that, (sighs) It has to be intimate and it doesn't have to be intimate. <laughs> so let's let's freeze there. Let's yeah, freeze there for a second. 
I, because I'm one of the people who thought that, and probably up until recently, as in a couple of days ago, I just realized, wow, that may not be the case. Just because you're polyamorous, you may not have an intimate, a physically intimate sexual relationship. You don't have to have intercourse with someone in order for them to be a partner because, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you're polyamorous and you're involved in the kink community, you may have play partners who may not necessarily penetrate you or allow you to penetrate them, but you can do other things with one another. And it can also be something as simple as just having a deeper level of intimacy with a friend that you enjoy particular activities with or just being in the presence of is that is that am i in the ballpark yeah. at all yes you are in the ballpark i mean for me again i'm still i'm still more on the new side of it i wouldn't want to there are people who've been polyamorous for 40 50 years they may know more but for me and the newer side of people who are just are questioning it yes that's exactly what i mean it doesn't have to be an intimate relationship it doesn't have to be sexual it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be kink it could be it, the idea is that you can love someone and love your partner and love another partner and it doesn't sacrifice another love that you have. I have and essentially the same way a family does. My love for my brother doesn't degrade the love for my mother. The love for my friends doesn't degrade the love for my family. It is all love. Maybe different types of love, but it's all love at the same time. So you may have your partner who you sleep with daily at, at nighttime, but then you go to work and you have someone who also love there in a different way that's not intimate it's not whatever it's just you have a strong sense of love for them and a lot of people it's hard to understand because they say wouldn't that just be like no it's, it can be a lot deeper because again love there's no definition of what love is it's hypothetical the definition is we know what up is we know what down is it's in relation to something else but what does love mean a whole entire gamut of the world so for me, love is the desire to see that person happy regardless of whatever happens and the care for them that I have that I feel is deep-rooted. If all the partners that I'm seeing right now decide that one day that, you know what, I want to be with someone else and I want to be monogamous, I still love them. I still share love for them. The love doesn't disappear. I still want to see them happy. I still want to see the wish the best for them. Hey, I wish that they invite me to the wedding one day. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to know that that connection that we had is genuine and it's long-lasting. It'll be as long as it can be. That's for me what polyamory means. And a lot of times for people focus on the the sexual part of it versus the emotional part of it, which is also very hard because if you think about it, most people are living a non-monogamous life as it is. People have sex with people without having labels on it. But when it comes to your emotions, I can only be emotionally connected to one person where in reality is you already are living, you're living emotionally with many people as it is. You're, whole, you're connected emotionally with your whole entire family, your whole entire friends, your whole entire coworkers. You care for them in a way. So why can't it be a loving thing as well yeah. versus it being just only intimacy? Got it. All right. Damn. You just yeah. broke that down for us beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I tried. <laughs> All right, being a black woman with herpes, who's open about having herpes and is polyamorous, how are you navigating this space? Like, I, to me, you're a pioneer. I haven't seen or heard of anyone being so open and vocal about so many different taboo things. All right, so the first part of it is the how did I find out? But I'll, I'll go back to the first, the kink part of it. Um, so I started listening to a podcast uh, maybe I want to say I was started. I writing my. I started writing my blog. I want to say in March of 2018. I started listening to a podcast called Horrible Decisions, which I was also a guest on in August. And you know they pretty much shed the light on sexuality in the black community because a lot of times, 
as a black person, we're very quiet about what we do sexually. We don't want it to be out there. And so listening to the podcast and hearing them speak so honestly about what they do, I was like, oh, well, maybe there is an open community that is more accepting because they got quite a million bunch of followers. So I'm not alone here, right? Whether or not people do it versus talking about it to different conversations, people are doing it that we know. We've concluded that people are sexually active and having sex, obviously. Um, they mentioned the club that they, one of them attended, and I was like, oh, because initially my first response was I didn't want to go into a club being this, having this particular, being a black woman who is thick and who has this body type in a club that is more white accepting and or small body types, because that's not my body. And, you know, I didn't want to be denied because of that initially, and then I didn't want to have herpes on top of that. So I wanted at least to find a community that looked for body types like my own. So I went to a predominantly black Spanish kink club, sex club, and that's where I first found that community at. Fine. And then on top of that, me having herpes, have again, finding that the conversation is like, oh, okay, thank you for telling us, yes, or thank you for telling us, we are going to pass. That's, it was pretty much that, it was pretty much that was it. And then as of now, with me also following a lot of sex positive podcasts and sex positive like groups and stuff like that, I happen to have found a sex positive polyamorous swingers group on Instagram that has an Instagram presence that also makes it easier for me to, if I'm going to a party before, I can talk to certain people and I can tell them, hey, by the way, before we go forward, this is my status. I don't know if you're interested in it. And they'll tell me right then, yes or no, or I'll see you at the party will exchange results. And it's like smooth sailing once we're at the party versus going into it every single step in every single party like so by the way by the way this and by the way that like it makes it easier that i found that community but even so regardless before i found the instagram presence community it was still easy to have that conversation because sexual health is important they understand that and again when you're talking about not just one partner you're talking about multiple partners because i may be a polyamorous meeting three, three people there may be a triad a quadrat a of eight, a group of eight people who all date each other and like and they and it's all important that they are all aware of everything and whatever decision you're making in that moment doesn't affect the whole entire collective which i've also found to be something very interesting in dating in that world and it just so happens that that that, that works for me yeah know? and i'm finding to be and you can tell me if you find this to be true as well but in the polyamorous community, kink community, there are way more conversations structured around consent, sexual health status, and we tend to just be more aware of our status. Whereas, and not to you know discount anything, I, I believe that people who are monogamous believe, okay, well, I'm only with this person, so why bother talking about sexual health or STDs? So, I mean, I get that thought process, but we also have to understand that people aren't, always in line with their integrity whereas in this community where sex is happening there tends to just be so much more awareness and there's yes. so much more uh openness and to to getting tested to knowing what your status is and talking about it versus there that not being the case outside of that community yeah um a lot of so i comment a lot of groups and i get a lot of flack because um a lot of my a big part of my position is, and why I decided to go positive, why not go positive, but be open about my status. I was about to say, you made that choice. (laughs) I didn't make the the choice, but I did make a choice. A lot of my argument with people is, and people may not like it, but unless sex is forced upon you, unless you're a victim of assault, 
we chose our emotions. I chose to like this person and I chose to not sit here and say, hey, by the way, when's the last time you got tested? By the way, let's go get tested together. I, I feel now being in a space that the conversation to kiss someone, to go down and have sex with them that first night should be just as easy as saying, let's exchange results. And that does not happen. Even when we're talking about a person being herpes positive, and I can say that I can say this about myself, where I've been positive for 10 years now, and I would talk to a person who I'm assuming is negative of all STDs, right? Because herpes is the worst thing on the face of the earth. If I sit here and say, hey, by the way, I have herpes, you want to date me soon and say, yeah, no problem. That's it. I don't need it. I'm not sitting here saying, well, how about we go get tested to make sure you have nothing to threaten my life. We don't, I didn't do that for many, many years. I just started doing it recently, but we don't do that inside and outside the community. It's all about, you should tell, you should disclose. And I fully feel that people who are positive should disclose. But what is the conversation about having a conversation about sex before having sex, period? Why is it so discomfortable? Why is it people so uncomfortable saying, talking about sexual health before something bad happens? You know, like I, if I would have asked, I asked, sure, I used condoms, sure. But I didn't say, well, let's go get tested. I didn't know all the information about testing. Everything is education before to not have, not contract shit. But after the fact, there's no education afterwards. And there's no education on ways, the best ways to try to protect yourself. Actually, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought you would. I thought you would stop it. <laughs> oh no! At the end of the day, two people are laying down and making a decision to share each other's bodies. It should be responsible for both people to secure each other's sexual health. And if at any point in time you are not securing that person's sexual health or your own sexual health, you can't turn around and blame someone for not telling you if you at the same point made a choice to be with them without knowing the truth. If we were old enough to have sex, we were old enough to know that STDs existed. So why are we not old enough to say, let's go protect ourselves together? Yeah. So, Damn. I get a lot. I get a lot of flack for that, but I will not change that position no matter what. <laughs> right, and then you know, I, you mentioned uh, before you went into that that there are situations where sex is forced upon you. I want to add to that, just giving space for the people who are in situations where their lives are endangered at the potential of disclosure. So I want to make sure to just hold and acknowledge space for them too, because I have talked to people who have felt like they couldn't disclose because they're in domestic abuse situations where they literally fear for their lives if they tell their abuser that they have an SCD. Or even um, I've spoken with sex workers who have been like, well, we do everything that we can to remain safe. Here are the precautions that we take. But this is the reality is that we face the risk of violence and disclosing. So wanted to make sure that I just said that and make sure that we know that this is a real thing because that's what this that's what this is. That's what this podcast is. And you also mentioned that there are no resources out there that talk about this kind of stuff. Uh here we go. (laughs) There haven't there haven't been any that I've known about before now where we're given conversations about disclosure how to navigate a diagnosis moving forward and there were so many things that you said and i'm just kind of running through bullet points and adding to them um the other thing was giving your sti status and not expecting 
that to be reciprocated. So telling someone, hey, I have herpes, you're going to date me? And they say, yeah, that's the end of the conversation. But there's so much more that needs to be added to that. And I've written about this on Waxo uh, on the blog, W-A-X-O-H, just talking about the things that we leave out of a herpes disclosure. Like we'll tell a person that we have herpes and then crickets. Like that's it. We wait on their response. But there's no, all right, well, here's what happened. If you feel that you want to share that element of it and then you can also give them an idea of what the next steps can be in order to keep yourself safer and keep themselves keep the potential partners safer as well whether that be use of condoms and dental dams if you're taking any kind of medication and you also want to be sure to ask them you know have you dated anyone who's been positive for an sci have you ever received a positive diagnosis um what about your health your sexual health uh, situation right now. What's your status? Have you, when's the last time you've been tested? These are all yeah. the kinds of questions that we just leave out of the conversation because we're, it's forced upon us. We supposed to disclose. All right, well, let's talk to the people who are negative right now and just say, Hey, it's a, it's a shared responsibility. Discussing sexual health status is a shared responsibility from all parties. And we aren't influenced or taught to negotiate and navigate these kinds of conversations until we find ourselves surrounded by other people who are doing it and it's just like a collective it's it, we just pick up on it from the people we're around so being involved in the kink community people want to have fun and there's a, a a much higher sense of pleasure when there's an increased sense of security and safety so if you're able to have that conversation and begin to really trust someone because it's also a trust thing you want to be able to trust the people that you're playing with so that you can lean into the experience and allow yourself to experience the pleasure that you negotiated with one another so there's a lot to be there's a lot to be learned here. There's a lot to be learned from your story, your blog, your experiences, just this podcast episode and like I love the way that you just presented here because everything that you said just flowed together so smoothly. Like me going back and trying to add to it might not have even been necessary if I'm being honest. Are there any things that you wanted to make sure that we got on here that we might not have gotten to or is there anything that we might have left off? I mean, I just think that it's important that, you know, I wrote a post a couple of months ago, like last month, about who I am. And, you know, a lot of my, before I contracted herpes when I was a teenager, I used to, I used to be, I used to be self-inflicted, I cut a long time ago. But my mom found out what I was doing because she thought that I was cutting school. She didn't think that I was actually cutting myself. She thought I was cutting school. But she found out, put me in therapy. That therapy helped me a lot. Years later, when I contracted herpes, I didn't have to go back to therapy, but it, me reflecting on the love that I found of myself with therapy helped me through my status. I feel it's important for a lot of people to take a step. And for some people, it's important to take a step to, like, heal themselves. Because some people, especially if you've never seen yourself in this way, if you had this grand vision for your life and then you're, and, this, and then this virus affects you, you may, it's like you can't see past this virus now. So it's important for people to figure out who it's, it's important to sometimes take a step back find that self that self-love again because you mentioned it earlier i feel it's very important to come into a relationship being as 100 percent as possible loving yourself not seeking anyone to complete you because if you if you're not 100 percent, if you're still broken there sure there were people to come and see your life and want to help you but there are 
more people who will take advantage of that broken parts of your personality in your life and feed upon it and make it worse. There are so many people who enter into abusive relationships after herpes diagnosis because they accept that you have herpes. You can't allow, you have to find yourself love and know that you are worthy of everything that you deserve and that you want. And then if someone is not willing to be that same level of love with you, if they're broken, you can't, you should, two broken people shouldn't be together if they're not going to want to help each other. You have to be 100% with yourself and anybody who you meet afterwards can only, should only be in your life to benefit you. I only surround myself with people who will want to make my life better. People who are negative, I don't, I don't associate with them. I, people who are, who, who seek, suck off out the good out of my life, I don't associate with them anymore. Sure, there are people who are in the pockets of groups that I'm a part of whom I know, okay, it's time to go now. I don't want that negativity in my life. It's important for you to make your life as positive as possible. Change what you can, because you can't change herpes as of right now. We can't, as of right now, there is no cure that has been approved. But we can change how we live our life with herpes. Make it as, pos- as positive as possible. Find something that you love, regardless if you're part. Find something that you love, find something that you adore, adore doing. Find support systems. You don't have to go through this alone. There are people, there are communities, and it always helps to have at least one person to talk to who you can talk honestly and freely with and don't have to talk around issues. Because a lot of it is difficult to talk around because people don't get it. And it's really important to have a community. I was lucky that I had a great support system, but I know a lot of people don't have it, but find something that you can, that'll help you. If you have to seek therapy, then seek therapy. There's nothing wrong with talking to someone in a pretty little couch and having a pretty wallpaper and whatever. There's nothing wrong with therapy. And mental health is a big thing. Talk to someone and know that at the end of the day, you will be fine. You will be all right. It may not be what you wanted, but sometimes you find something else. Like for me, for what as, as crazy as sometimes sounds, I maybe in a way I'm thankful that herpes did happen to me because it helped me also find who I was. It helped me find the love for the things that I love now. It helped me find out my life, my love style is what it is right now. It helped me find, it helped me explore the sexuality that I may or may not have otherwise faced. Where if I had never contracted this, I may be right now in a boring marriage with three or four kids and miserable. Who knows what it could be? So maybe this may not be what everybody else wants, but it may be better for me that this did happen because it may have stopped me from going someplace else. It may have stopped me from ending up in a ditch for the following day. I don't know. But it helped. I am here now, and I have to make peace with it, and I have to be happy that I have my family, I have my loves, I have my friends, I have a good job, I have these things. And find anything in your life that makes you happy. It may not be the billion-dollar job that you want, but you have a job, and some people don't. There's always some kind of silver lining that I found. There's always something that you can be happy for. And you have to focus on that and then make that the thing that you worship around. I can't change my herpes, but I can change the people around that make me unhappy about everything else in my life. And that is what I would like people to understand is heal yourself first and then move forward. Don't seek, once you're diagnosed, don't seek to be accepted. Accept yourself again, love yourself again, and then move forward with that. How can people find you? So my blog is Tales of Tony, T-A-L-E-S-O-F-T-O-N-E-Y.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as Carolyn Tony. And my Twitter is Tales of Tony as well. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. (laughs) And I'm all public. Nothing is private because it makes it easy for people to find me if they need help. And, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brittany. 
That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. I can be found on social media at H on My Chest. You can come to spfpp.org and you can check out the website. You can support any of our upcoming events if you'd like to donate or contribute to the nonprofit's functions of helping to provide additional emotional aftercare support for people navigating a diagnosis. Or if you just want to support this podcast, there are options at the homepage, spfpp.org, where you can donate. And if you have any media contacts that you want to put us in front of so that we can share these resources and help get it out there to the people who need it most, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm always looking for guests, so you can email me your story or you can just email me to discuss what the next steps can be for you to be a guest on Something Positive for Positive People. I've had several anonymous guests where we've just used their first names and I haven't posted anything of their faces or anything like that. So... Uh, Just keep in contact with us, and please like, rate, review, subscribe to, and share this podcast so that more people can find it. Till next time, stay sex positive.